Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. This week on Making Contact... Tonkashila, grandfather, Unshi, grandmother, Wakatanka, creator, great mystery, Unshimaka, grandmother, earth, Miniwichoni, sacred water, Tonka Ayate, stone nation, Petawaka, sacred fire. We ask that you join us here so that the truth may come out, so that the truth may help create awareness in the lives of those who listen. Going to Standing Rock, I was just really blown away by the beauty of the culture and the peacefulness and the strength of the resistance to having their sovereignty denied through this pipeline and their health rights denied through this pipeline. The call and cry to go to Standing Rock is a reflection of the larger concern for Mother Earth, for climate change issues, for the state of historically oppressed communities. At Standing Rock, in the heart of the Great Sioux Nation, Lakota and Dakota tribes rose up against the fossil fuel giant, Energy Transfer Partners. The Sioux call themselves water protectors. Their aim to stop the Dakota Access oil pipeline, which threatens their water and sacred ancestral land. Rejected by the North Dakota city of Bismarck as too dangerous for their water supply, the pipeline was rerouted to indigenous lands and water. We're standing at the construction site of the Dakota Access pipeline. People are being pepper sprayed. Pray for the water, pray for the people, pray for the water protectors, pray for the tribe, pray for the 18 million people downstream whose water is going to be threatened by this genocidal act of a tyrannical government. Tens of thousands of people from around the world were inspired to join the Native Americans in their fight for all life along the Missouri River. Even U.S. military veterans came to Standing Rock to shield the nonviolent water protectors. Are you telling the dogs to bite the protest? The dog has blood in its nose and its mouth. Let's go check on this woman. What's your name? Raina Crow. And what do you think you've accomplished today? I hope we've accomplished letting Enbridge know that the people of this nation and the people of this world, tribal or otherwise, have withdrawn their social license to pollute water and that they need to find an honest, nonviolent way to make a living. Where are you from? Duluth, Minnesota. I don't know more Duluth. Healers, physicians, and psychologists were drawn to Standing Rock to care for the water protectors brutalized by state law enforcement and private security hired by energy transfer partners. Women Rising Radio brings eyewitness stories from three healer activists. Dr. Rupa Maria, a physician on the faculty of the University of California, San Francisco, sees her work at Standing Rock as a natural outgrowth of her philosophy of healthcare. 
I see my role as a physician as being someone who walks in accompaniment with people through challenging times of transition, the accompaniment of people through social struggle. And when you look at social struggles, like with what's happening at Standing Rock, you're seeing very vulnerable people who are unarmed. And going to Standing Rock was the first time I was just really blown away by the beauty of the culture and the peacefulness and the prayerfulness and the strength of the resistance to having their sovereignty denied through this pipeline and their health rights denied through this pipeline. It was just amazing to see that fiery, incredible, resistant spirit still fighting colonialism. And to be invited to participate in that has been a great honor. The first time I was there, there were probably about five to 7,000 people in the camp. And there was a medic tent. There's an amazing group of street medics who've been helping to keep people safe through basic first aid care. There were lots of elders there, people over 60 years old, lots of diabetes, lots of asthma issues. People are staying on this, basically this river floodplain. There's lots of dust, lots of allergy symptoms, lots of colds, and then basic primary care issues. The clashes with the police and private security have become increasingly violent. I have witnessed a young man who was shot at close range by these rubber bullets known as a sponge grenade, and he coughed up about a cup of dark red blood after being shot. And there are case reports in the medical literature of these rubber bullets causing ruptured pulmonary artery and death by exsanguination, also pulmonary contusions. We didn't know exactly why he was coughing up a, you know, a cup of blood is a lot of blood. And the violence of the police has become out of control. They claim to be using non-lethal methods, but 300 people were treated for hypothermia. So when you're spraying people with water cannons at 22 degrees Fahrenheit, when they have no place to get warm, that is a form of lethal crowd control. And so the lack of accountability of the Morton County Sheriff's Department and these private security groups that have been hired by DAPL is totally reprehensible. Rupa is concerned that some of the violence will be blamed on the water protectors, whom she witnessed as prayerful and nonviolent. There was a young woman, Sophia Walansky, who had her arm blown up by a concussion grenade. She witnessed a grenade being thrown at her. And the immediate announcement by the Morton County Sheriff's Department was that, no, this was an improvised explosive device that the protesters were planning to use against the police. When you look at the images on Facebook, there's no evidence of charred flesh. There's no evidence of a propane explosion. Her jacket is ripped open. You can see the white polyester filling of the jacket. Nothing was on fire. So her father took her jacket and was saving it in the hotel to get forensics run on it. He's a lawyer. And the next day, the FBI showed up and took the jacket away. And now there's a grand jury investigation around this issue of what happened on that night. And I don't think the police have received any subpoenas. Well, at least one protester has received a subpoena to a grand jury. 
I do think that the Morton County Sheriff's Department needs to be accountable for their violence and that the surgeon who operated on Sophia Walansky's arm and extracted the bits of shrapnel from the grenade, as well as the army vet who pulled her to safety and was shocked by the level of violence that he witnessed from the police onto unarmed protesters, I think that those people need to testify. There's this physical violence that has been done by the police onto unarmed people who are standing up for the health of their water and they're standing up for the right to their human dignity, their cultural dignity. Rupa worked in the medic healer unit at Standing Rock with ethnobotanist Linda Black Elk and Stanford-trained doctor Sarah Jumping Eagle. Together, the three women are planning to create a permanent clinic there. Because of the history of distrust, the people in this area feel so much distrust of the state. They don't receive the care they need when they go to the local hospitals because they're indigenous. So one of my purposes there at Standing Rock is to help create this long-term clinic partnership between indigenous providers and UCSF to develop a curriculum around the practice of decolonized medicine. So what would it look like in an integrative, free community health clinic where allopathic providers were there to support the vision of indigenous health that is defined through the Lakota Dakota perspective on what health is and what medicine is and what that should be for their own community. A very exciting clinic. It's called the Minuichoni Health Clinic. Dr. Maria Michael is a Lakota Diné elder and spiritual leader with a Ph.D. in psychology. As a healer, Maria felt called to Standing Rock. When I was younger, we could see things and know things, and it was actually very frightening as a young child. We would see people come and visit, and we would see things were wrong with them, and then they would get sick, or we would know things were going to happen, like a premonition to somebody or something in the world, and then it would happen. So these gifts that I have and that I work with as a spiritual elder, as a traditional Lakota Diné elder and a Sundance leader, started with me when I was very young. The heart of our activism comes from living a certain way of life as an indigenous person. And so our activism and our involvement in Standing Rock has been from that place of prayer, from that place of knowing that prayer can change and move mountains. We have witnessed so many miracles in our lifetime. When we arrived at Standing Rock the first time, it was such an incredible experience. The kindness, the love. We met people from Norway, Greece, Japan, Turkey, Pakistan, Israel, Palestine. It was unbelievable. There were so many people from so many other countries that flew in because of the news getting out all across the world except mainstream media in America. People came with such deep hearts 
from such an incredibly pure place, just wanting to help. The stories are endless that we could tell you. It was that magnificent. And so from the very beginning, it was like going home. When I go home to Sundance, it's like being home. It's like you know you're in the center of Creator's universe. And Ochete and Sacred Stone and Rosebud camps felt like that because everybody came together as one family of humankind. It was very intense with the direct actions and no physical confrontation from our side. People had to sign up with legal, so in case they got arrested, it would be known who went on the actions. And if they didn't come back, to begin to be able to find out where they were, because many people who were arrested were not given even the right for a phone call. They would be missing for days, and people would not even know where or what jail they were in. And it was horrible hearing some of the stories of people that were just praying. That's all they were doing. But a lot of the police, a lot of the mercenaries that were hired and brought in from other states, and the amount of militarization and weaponry on the policemen, and protesters who had nothing on them but their clothes, no protective gear, no anything. It was frightening to see that in our own country. Horrific, unspeakable things were being done to the protesters with the water cannons and the LRAD. The LRAD is a sound cannon that is used to make people deaf. And the medic healer unit was nothing short of miraculous. The hours they worked, the shifts that they worked, the amount of people that they tried to process. Dr. Rupa Maria is an incredible being as a physician, but also as a person. And so we've become friends in triage. She and Linda Black Elk and Sarah Jumping Eagle are trying to create a mini Wichoni clinic with UCSF as a permanent structure of non-colonized medicine at Standing Rock. So it's an honor to know her, and that's how we came to meet each other. As a Lakota Diné elder, Maria was invited to participate in a ceremony welcoming thousands of U.S. military veterans who came to support the water protectors. It was quite a remarkable experience to have so many veterans, men and women. And we were there on the day of the veterans ceremony. We were told from the night before that we were asked to go to be one of the elders there. At the veterans ceremony, it was very heart-wrenching to watch several veterans apologize for all the years and massacres, and all the raping of the women and the killing of the children. There wasn't a dry eye in, in that whole room. I don't even know that I can find the words still to explain what, what it felt like and how much healing still needs to happen. But it was such an honor to be there that day, and it was such an honor to then walk through the throngs of veterans and be able to shake each of their hands and hug them and thank them for coming to try to help our people. 
And so the veterans that came to Standing Rock was huge for us because it finally brought national media. For so long, horrific things were happening in all these direct actions, and nothing was getting the attention of the media. There was a media blackout. And when the veterans were there and the storm hit, after we came out of that ceremony, there was a blizzard, two blizzards, in fact, back-to-back, 26 inches, and many veterans got stranded, and there had to be so many search-and-rescue missions and grid work that was done on the ground. It was triage nonstop for that entire week, but we all did it gladly because we knew we were all in it together, and we were all there to support the veterans as the veterans came to support us. You're listening to Making Contact. This week's program is produced by Women Rising Radio. For more information, visit us on the web at womenrisingradio.com and at radioproject.org. Reverie Barnes was an activist in San Francisco working on police brutality issues when she decided to become a doctor. She completed her medical education in Cuba. Reverie was working with HIV-AIDS patients at Harbor UCLA in Los Angeles when Standing Rock came calling. I follow one of the doctors at UCSF, Rupa, who is part of the Do No Harm Coalition, and so I saw a post from her putting out a call to physicians. I was like, oh, God, yeah, I wish I could get off of work long enough to be able to go run off to the movement. (laughs) And then I thought about it, and I was like, no, I can make time. I can figure this out. So it was just a magical experience from the moment we set the intention of wanting to go. When we arrived to camp, everyone was in prayer. It was like walking into a prayer circle. And so we walked into... What we felt at that time, uh, sort of this little utopian piece of the world, you know, this little utopian village where people were helping each other out, getting along. And so it was very much indigenous-led leadership, very much a linear setup, whereas in the medical system here, it's doctor, then nurse, then tech, then way down there is the herbalist or the psychologist. They kind of deferred leadership to those who had been on the ground for the longest time, and that was a refreshing space to be in, to be able to really defer to what's needed for the larger good of the camp. A lot of colds and coughs and sniffles, and I mean, it's freezing out there, literally. And many people came unprepared for those weather conditions. Bless their hearts, they wanted to be there on the front lines, and I get it, um, but many people came not quite prepared for, you know, you can't wear Uggs in negative (laughs) degree weather. Then, you know, other people having asthma attacks, didn't have enough supply of their medicines, urinary tract infection, whatever it is, a lot of psychological issues that people have brought, and this was the first time they were offered a safe space to talk to a psychologist. And somebody who got exposed to tear gas and some chemicals, we agreed as a clinical team that she probably had chemical pneumonitis. And so we jumped in to do whatever we needed to do. Maria Michael also saw troubling signs of illness in those subjected to crowd control methods at Standing Rock. She is concerned that dangerous chemicals may have been used against the water protectors. 
for months and months, people have been very, very sick. We call it the Ochete crud. There is a lot of concern about spraying that's been happening, chemical spraying of the people and the camps. Just like in the Vietnam War, chemicals were used, Agent Orange, even on our own people, and in the Gulf War, and in all the wars. We have done that. We have that knowledge. Despite all the violence from government and private security forces, more than 15,000 people braved the North Dakota weather to stand with the water protectors. Dr. Reverie Barnes finds that deeply inspiring. I think that's what people speak on when they say the spirit of Standing Rock and it being such a historic moment in terms of protecting water and life and just indigenous sovereignty and being able to allow indigenous folks to lead what's needed for their community. And I think it was refreshing in the sense to be in a space that placed value on ensuring that there was an equal exchange and dropping some of the power dynamics of I'm the physician, I'm here to cure you. The way they describe it out there is really decolonizing medicine. Reverie studied medicine in Cuba where free education and health care have earned the island nation an outstanding global reputation. Since 2001, Cuba has offered full scholarships to students like Reverie from the U.S. and around the world. I could go on and on about their medical system, the way that it's set up in terms of everyone having access to a primary care physician. They're very primary care focused. Family medicine is at the core of their ability to take care of everyone. Being a generalist in that way, it's it's a beautiful thing because you can go into a home, you're able to look at not only what's happening with children, but how the health of the parents have affected the health of that child, all of those aspects. So for me, I'm I'm family medicine to the core. Like, there's just no other way. And I think it comes from that background of community activism and wanting to really look for strategies that address issues that affect the whole community. Native American folks and communities are affected disproportionately by many common diseases and have worse outcomes. That in and of itself is a reflection of our priorities in this country and a reflection of colonization, a reflection of our lack of respect for indigenous communities and The call and cry to go to Standing Rock is a reflection of the larger concern for Mother Earth, for climate change issues, for the state of historically oppressed communities. And I think people are waking up and starting to realize the power that we do have, power in numbers, power in unity, power in diversity. We have a role to play as community physicians. Rupa Maria and Maria Michael share Reverie's vision of healer activism. Rupa Maria. I think that we're really living in an era where our health problems are going to demand new kinds of engagement from the medical community. Then I call it using our white coat privilege. 
And I see myself as someone who is really deeply concerned about the health of communities that I serve and the health of the water, which is prima facie, like what we absolutely need for healthy bodies is healthy water. And the people at Standing Rock are standing up for their desire to have clean, healthy water. And that's a human right. I believe it's a human right. And we also have absolutely the ability to walk away from the fossil fuels. We have the technology. We have the ability. The only thing we lack is the political will. Our governments are run by and owned by those financial structures that are running the fossil fuel industry and benefiting from the fossil fuel industry. So it's going to require direct citizen engagement and participation to wrest the power away from these financial institutions into the hands of the people. Rupa is also a musician with her own band, Rupa and the April Fishes. With indigenous women, she wrote a new song called Water. Rupa gave Women Rising Radio permission to debut the song, dedicating it to water protectors everywhere. Take me. 
And that's it for this Women's Desk edition of Making Contact, produced by Women Rising Radio. Special thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now!, to the staff of Making Contact and Aquila Lewis. Music, courtesy of Rupa and the April Fishes, and from Indigenous Water Protectors. Women Rising Radio's producer is Lynn Feinerman. Our audio engineers are Stephanie Welch and Emily Harris. I'm your host, Sandina Robbins. Thanks for listening.